Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. All right, let's start with these words right here. In love, Christ imposes. Do we have any wordsmiths in the house? Any little Websters that know what this word impose means? Anybody? So this means to establish or apply something by authority. This means to obtrude or to force oneself upon somebody else. So here's some examples that'll get this in your head. Have you ever had a relative that you may or may not click with tell you, hey, I got to come live with you for a while. I'm on a bus right now. I'm on a Greyhound. We're on the Mass Pike. I just left Worcester and I need somewhere to crash for the next 30 days. Has this happened to you? A house guest imposing. And now they're on your couch. And now they got the clicker. And now they're in your fridge. And the hair's all in the drain in your bathtub. What have they done? They have imposed upon you. Do you feel it? All right, how about this? I played ball yesterday for the first time in 13 months. All the over 35, 40-year-old guys got together to play actually in Wakefield on the concrete. So the bottom of my right foot is killing me right now if you see me limping around from running on that concrete. So I get there. It's all good. Sun is shining except for this. There's a guy on the other team. I had not met him before. I am 6'3", 202. I used to be like 220, then TB12 got me down to 202. This guy was 6'3", 290. He imposed himself upon me for the next hour. I could not move this man, and he moved me anywhere he wanted me to go. He imposed upon me. Do you feel it? All right, how about this one? Construction project out front. I know I exaggerate because I'm a preacher, but Sarah is my witness that I'm not exaggerating. Guy knocks on the door a year and a half ago, sits with us and says, hey, we're going to be doing a little construction project out front. It just takes a couple of days. There'll be no work on Sundays. A year and a half later, I pull up one Sunday and the whole street is blocked off and there's cones and cops and heavy machinery and they're still working on this road. He had said, no Sundays, we won't take up any parking spots. Now they've got the whole street shut down. Was there anything I could do about it? What happened there? We were imposed upon by the Massachusetts Water Authority. You feel that? If I asked you to give me an illustration, almost everybody would come with a negative illustration about being imposed upon, and I get it. But I also need you to feel that this word, impose, can be positive. So I'll give you an example. Last week, I was in the city of Greenville and the state of South Carolina for the first time ever. I won't lie, I was scared. I was like... I usually go, go down below Washington, D.C. 
I have never been down in this state down here. I don't know what's going to happen. But it was delightful. I got some private time, and I got some time at a discipleship training conference with Michael Previtt. So the Previtts were down there, and I also got to hang out with them for a little while. My hotel was here, and them and their whole family was having dinner outside like two blocks away. So he texted me. I went down to say hey to him and his family, his mom, his dad, his brother, his sister-in-law, somebody else, and them. They're sharing dinner outside. Jackson is standing on his head and drinking water in a public fountain. I let that go. Little Ollie, who's learning to walk, was like 30 yards away, just like holding onto the little wall and walking. And so I said, you know what, in love for these guys, I'm gonna scoop these two kids up so they can get some grown-up time. So I scooped up little Ollie and I took Jackson out of the water fountain and I said, you guys are coming with me. And I took him over to the hotel that I was at and we got on the elevator and little Ollie, he's one, he got all nervous when those doors shut, he like held on to me. He was like pulling on my chest hair. And then we got up to this rooftop with a fire pit and a pool and little Ollie had the best time ever just seeing everything that was going on. Did he have a say in any of that? I totally imposed upon this little kid for his good. I invited him into something with me that he didn't know was coming. You feel it? We also know that imposing can be really helpful to us. So think of a bartender and somebody had way too much to drink. What do they do? They impose upon them and they say, those keys are mine. You're not driving anywhere. Is that an imposition? It's a good one. It's a loving one. Think of a firefighter, right? You're sound asleep. You're dreaming of whatever you dream about. Jow's winning the New York City Marathon in his dreams. And then all of a sudden, boom, the front door gets kicked in. Thump, thump, thump. Up come the steps. Guys in heavy equipment. And they grab you by the back of your pajamas and say, you're leaving this house now. Have you been imposed upon? Yes. It's a good, loving imposition. Do you feel it? Okay. Jesus does this. One way to understand the gospel is like this. Christ came to impose his will on this world, to rescue it. He said, I am not allowing sin and death and decay to be the last word. I am fixing what is broken and it's going to be awesome. A new heavens and a new earth. Jesus said it like this. I will build my church. I'm going to do it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, against me. He was going to impose his will on this world for the good of this world. That's the gospel. And what Christ has come to do in this world, he has come to do in your life. Impose his good and gracious will on you. But it is going to feel like you have been imposed upon. When we do our training in Kalos track with the women of our church, we work through a bunch of stuff. And one of them is this 
story of this woman who came to faith in Christ. And here's how she says it. She said, conversion is simply too tame of a word to capture the train wreck that I experienced in coming face to face with the living God. Conversion put me in complicated and comprehensive chaos. I sometimes wonder when I hear other Christians pray for the conversion or the salvation of their neighbors, if they realize the chaos that is the end of those prayers. I didn't choose Christ. Nobody chooses Christ. Christ chooses you or you're dead. And after Christ chooses you, you respond because you have to. In other words, salvation looks something like this. We're busy building this life for ourselves. We're constructing this life for ourselves. And then here comes Jesus in a crane, and he pulls those levers, and he swings that ball, boom, and he smashes the whole enterprise to the ground. He does this in love because he has something much better in mind for your life. If you think that Jesus would never do that, you are misunderstanding the story. You are misunderstanding Luke's gospel. And today we're going to get one simple example of what it looks like for Jesus to impose in love on somebody's life. All right, now all we do is just work the words together. Here's the context. Jesus calls disciples to be with and to work with him. Jesus begins his ministry not in Jerusalem. That's where he's headed. He begins his ministry in Galilee, far from there. Um, it would be like somebody saying, my ultimate end is Boston, but I'm starting this thing out in Lowell. Lowell's way north of here, and you'd have to come way down to eventually get into Boston. And not just geographically, but reputation-wise. So can anything good come out of Lowell? Now, we know Gary and Lynn, so we're like 100% yes. But if you wanted to be snarky, you would be like, did you say Lowell? No, not Lowell. This was the reputation of the place where Jesus began his ministry. Can anything good come out of Nazareth or Galilee? No way. But Jesus was saying, yes way. I'm starting here on my way to the cross. One of the things that he needed to do when he got started was form a community around him. This was both for logistical reasons, right? Somebody had to do crowd control. Somebody had to make sure that the food and the water was available for them. But also for future reasons, he was shaping these men to be the ones to receive the gospel and give the gospel to the early church. Where would you go if you were recruiting those who would work with you? Come on, where would we go to get the best of the best? It's wicked easy, right? Orange line, red line, across the Charles River. We go to MIT, we go to Harvard, and we got our crew. That's who we're going to war with, the smartest people we can find. Is this what Jesus does? No. He goes to the local construction site, to the 103 Union. He goes to the to the river, uh, the lake, to the fishermen. And he goes, this is who I want to build my church upon. 
these humble, hardworking folks right here. So that's where Jesus goes. That's where our text picks it up. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. All right, this is the Sea of Galilee. This is a sea or a giant lake. This is not El Pond down here that you can skip a rock across the whole thing and walk around in five minutes. Seven miles, holler, wide, 13 miles long. This is a big lake. This was Jesus' spot. He would have grown up in and around this area. So this is like me hanging out at Glendale Park or the Everett Wreck or Nahant Beach if you needed a body of water reference, right? I, I know that place. Jesus knows this place. It's wicked crowded. He has no platform to stand on. He has no microphone to use. Do you see even how we set this up that I am separate from people? So he's got to get some distance between these crowds. How's he going to do it? Down by the sea. I got it. I'm going to get in a boat. He's got to create some space. So that's what he did. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So he sees two empty boats, boats and Jesus is about to impose. Watch him do it. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. What a detail. Please tell me you don't miss the details when you read your Bible, right? Whose boat? Not just anybody's boat. He got into Simon's boat. Jesus is going for this guy in this story. Did they know each other already? A little bit. Jesus had come into the field of vision of Simon's life, into his world. Simon's brother Andrew had said, hey, did you hear about this Jesus guy? You got to see him teach. He's working miracles. He healed somebody. I watched him. Everybody thinks he might be the Christ. And then because they were from that same area, Jesus began to hang out with Andrew and Simon and their family, share meals at his house. So Simon and Jesus are beginning to to feel each other out. You know how that goes in a, a new relationship, right? You get to know somebody new. So this is crazy, but in the year of coronavirus, this church has grown by like 20, 25 people. It's awesome. And they're getting to know me. I'm getting to know them. You're getting to know them. They're getting to know you. It, it's like this a little bit, right? So like we got John Santana, only it's not J-O-H-N. It's J-H-O-N. What's up with that? He was such a beautiful baby that they couldn't even spell John right. They were like such awe of this guy. So I'm like, oh, that's a different kind of name. I, didn't, I never saw that before. You see that little thing there? And then getting to know him and his family and what he's like, it's like it takes some time. This is Jesus and Simon. And so Jesus begins with a very small impose. He steps into Simon's life and he says, Put your boat out for me. I'm getting in your boat, and you're going to put it out for me, an imposition. What is Simon's first reaction going to be? What would yours be? 
This is the beginning of Jesus' day. It's probably 6, 6.30 in the morning. The sun has just risen. But it is the end of Simon's day. Simon was up fishing all night. He had just worked the night shift. He had just pulled an all-nighter. How tired is this guy? He is tired. You know the feeling at the end of your work day? You just want to close the laptop. You just want to put the books down. You just want to put the tools away. Just give me a Miller light. I just want to relax on a couch. The end of the day feeling. It's even worse when it's a night shift that you pulled, right? The end of a regular day is one thing, but when you were up all night, you are like cranky at the end of that thing. Anybody ever work all night? Anybody ever fly a red eye? What do you like when you get off that flight? I went to Tanzania to visit Kevin and Bridget several years ago with Sam, and the flight back was a red eye, one hour south to Dar el Salaam, 10 hours through the night to Amsterdam, four hour layover, seven hours back to Massachusetts, and then, you know, like, man, it was very uncomfortable the way that they vetted me when I got back to the States with the uh, terrorist stuff that was going on at the time. When I got home, I hadn't slept for, I don't know, what, 36 hours or something crazy. If anybody had even said, Dad, can you make me some toast? I would have been like, are you absolutely kidding me? I'm going to bed right now. This is Peter. Please, just let me finish with this net so I can go to sleep. Jesus knows this. Does Jesus care? No. He's going somewhere with Simon. Next verse said this. When Jesus had finished his teaching, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. All right. Exponent on the word impose. This is a big impose. This is a giant impose. This is a ridiculous impose. Anybody have teenage kids who need a ride to the movies? So that's a little imposing, right? Hey, Dad, can you give me a ride to the movies? I don't know how much longer I'll be able to use this illustration. Will we have movie theaters in five years? I don't know. That's one thing. But then they add the little, oh, yeah, can you pick up my seven friends on the way? And can you buy everybody's tickets? And can you buy everybody the largest popcorn that they have? You feel what just happened to the impose right there? Now you're like, what? Are you kidding me? I love you, but no. That's this. Simon is not just tired, but he's frustrated. Why? They had fished all night, and how many fish did they catch? Zero. Zero fish. Not one Nemo. Not one Dory. Not one Muddy mud skipper. Not one fish. Nothing. Jesus, we already tried this. The, there's no fish around here. I am not taking this boat out again. Every mom in the house knows this feeling, right? With your kitchen. 
you've loved and served and the family has eaten and you wash the dishes and you wipe down the counter and you put everything back in place. And what do you say? The kitchen is closed. What would it take for someone to come to you and say, hey, let's make some lasagna right now and some brownies. There's no shot you're going back in that kitchen. Do you feel it? Unless it's Jesus. And there was this force to his personality, his presence. And Peter has the humility enough to say, okay. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. You know that, right? But at your word, I will let down the nets. Do you feel the humility? Do you feel the openness? He, he knows they ain't catching no fish. But he also knows that he is not saying no to Jesus. They go out on the boats and then crazy town. They enclosed a large number of fish so that their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they filled both boats so that both boats began to sink. Whoa. Whoa. This is a miraculous, impossible catch of fish. This miracle was designed specifically for who? For Simon. The favorite thing I read this week in getting ready to love you from up here was this. This was a miracle in Simon's area of expertise. He knew fishing and he knew what this haul implied. So I said that I played ball yesterday, you know, for the first time in 13 months. Um, what was my big announcement when I came home? What did I say? I didn't get hurt. <laughs> That's like the only win left for me in playing ball. I played and I didn't get hurt. Now, like my son Brandon knows basketball big time. So if I would have come home and I would have gone, Brandon, sit down. You're not going to believe this. I went 40 for 40 from the field. I dunked three times. And there was this dude, he was 6'3", 290, and I just threw him right out of the way. Brandon would say, no, you didn't. <laughs> that's not how this works you're 47 and I dominate you in the backyard none of that happened he would know and if he was there watching and that happened Space Jam style he would know something's crazy right now that's not how this works you don't catch fish in the daytime you don't catch 10,000 fish a few hours after there was zero. Simon sees what just happens and he freezes. And then there's this pivot in the story. Simon recognizes what is happening. He goes, oh, Jesus is not here to catch fish. Jesus is here to catch me. This has nothing to do with boats and nets and fish. Jesus has come looking 
for Simon. And Simon gets it. And he goes, this is about me, isn't it? This is about me. You picked my boat for a reason. Jesus is not out here to impose upon my day or my good day's sleep. He is here to impose on my life. Simon recognizes what? I can say it like this. That he has been caught. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is that moment when you stand coram Deo, Latin for before the face of God. And you realize, I am sinful, and he knows it all. Jesus, if you know where the fish are under the water, you know my heart. You know what I have done. You know what I have said. You know what I have thought. You know what I have left undone. Oh, no. Oh, no. American culture has robbed you of the ability to experience this, but please don't miss it. This is what happens to every sinner when they come, quorum Deo. We think we can hide from God. We pretend he doesn't know who we are. And then we realize, oh no, he knows. Way more terrifying than the boats splintering apart and the nets shredding realizing that I'm standing in the presence of the Holy One. You know, slow motion in a movie, right? There's a million things going on and it slows down and it just focuses on the main character, whatever they're doing. That's what happens right here. It's just Simon and Jesus and the breaking boats and the tearing nets and James and John and everything else fades to black. And what does Simon say to Jesus, depart from me. Get away from me. Get away from me. What's the import in those words? It's probably two things when we say this. One is this. He is literally saying to Jesus, leave me alone. Leave me alone. We do this all the time, right? We don't want Christ imposing on us, and so we avoid him, and we avoid his words, and we don't open our Bible. We won't even listen to Caleb. We don't even want to give him an inch. Get away from me. Why don't people come to church? There's probably 200 surface answers to that question, right? But what's the bottom line reason? We don't want God imposing on our lives. We don't want to be that close to God. Somebody schedules breakfast with you and you know they're going to ask you about your soul. What do you do? You cancel the breakfast. Somebody wants to have a conversation with you about something deep in your heart. And what do you do? You change the subject. Did you see the 19-year-old kid from Kentucky who died? Oh, did you see the border wall? Oh, did you? 
Get away from me, is what we're saying. Get away from me. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with this. And I don't want to be dealt with. And then the second thing that Jesus is saying is this. You don't want me, Jesus. Get away from me. You don't want me. Please feel this. You don't want anything to do with me. Trust me on this. You got the wrong Simon. You got the wrong fisherman. I think you meant to be 100 yards that way on the Sea of Galilee. You picked the wrong spot and the wrong boat. I'm not a good person. I'm a bad draft pick. You cannot fix what is wrong with me. I'm too broken. Just go find somebody else. But Jesus isn't going anywhere. He knows Simon's sin and brokenness all the way down. But he also knows that he is the only answer for Simon, the only one. And Jesus wants Simon. He wants to heal him. He wants to sweep him up. He wants to bring him out of the burning wreckage of his life into something so much better. Did you notice the name change in this verse? Did you see it? Simon, 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 Simon. But now what? Simon Peter. Jesus is giving him a new life, a new name, and he's about to invite him into a new job. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. This is what we would call an assurance of pardon. Pastor Tim already worked this with you. Don't be afraid. Only Jesus can say those words because only Jesus can remove what scares us. And then an infusion of mission. Your life is going to be used for gospel advance. It's a paradox. He used to catch fish alive and then put them to death. Now he is going to be catching dead men and bringing them to life. I am forgiving you. I am imposing my forgiveness on you. I am cleansing you. I am imposing my cleansing on you. I am sweeping you up into a life you never thought was possible. That's the gospel. Last verse. And when they had brought their boats to land, they made it back. You know, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. But the nets never broke. And they got them all the way back to the shore. And they left everything. And they followed Jesus. Okay, don't miss this. Last thing. They walked away from the greatest catch they had ever experienced in their lives. They were walking away from the greatest catch in the history of the Sea of Galilee. There had never been anything like this before. They would have been legends after this. 
It's like Chris Coughlin on Bennington Street. Legends. They could have lived off of this high for months. This was about to go viral. They were going to be on Jimmy Kimmel. Not only would they have had a ton of cash in their pockets, but their business was going to boom after that. Who do you hire? You hire James and John and Andrew and Peter. Did you hear about that catch? You don't walk away now. This would be like Harry Styles retiring from singing the day that Sign of the Times became number one on the Billboard charts. If he texted you and said, I'm done, you would say, Harry, you're just getting started. You can't quit now. What are you, crazy? This is supposed to be the greatest day of your life. Finally, the doors are thrown open to everything you've been working for. This is your magic moment. You can't walk away. Simon did. He did. Without hesitating. This is what conversion, salvation, this is what the gospel life looks like. Christ takes the wheel and you go, I will run shotgun for this all day. You're barely learning to walk, patting up against the glass and he scoops you up and he takes you to the sixth floor of this world. And it's the greatest thing that has ever happened. Simon, I am imposing upon you for your good. All right, here's the question we want you to think of or the application, the implication. This is it. Be ready. Be ready for and open to Christ's imposing on your life. Maybe you have never confessed Christ as Lord and he's just gonna train wreck your life to get you there. Be ready for that. Be open to it because it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. Maybe you're fading in sin and unbelief and he is about to bring a tragedy, a difficulty, a challenge, an imposition into your life and you're gonna be like, you gotta be kidding me. And he's gonna say to you, nope, I love you, I'm for you and I am taking you somewhere for your good. Be ready for it, be open to it.